This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 71, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today I'm catching up with my buddy Kevin Vistason of the Deer Hunter Podcast, and we're covering our evolution as deer hunters and much, much more. So stay tuned. All right, what is up, everybody? Happy Wednesday to you. Welcome back, and you are listening to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well out there. Did get a chance to get into the timber this weekend. Uh, finally, it's been a little bit of a wait, but did do my first official velvet card pool. Um, went and checked some cameras at the at the newest property, and uh, I, I have I'm, I'm happy to say there's two deer on the property that I'm pretty excited about. Now, we'll have to kind of wait and see how things kind of pan out, but uh, so far so good, liking what I'm seeing. It's a smaller property, so it's not going to have, you know, a ton of uh, a ton of velvet images necessarily on it. You know, it's not necessarily a size of a property that's going to hold a ton of deer. Um, they kind of use it as a transitional property, uh, which is fine by me. Um, you know, I tend to get most of my better pictures of my more mature deer as September kind of hits. I think I've kind of mentioned this in the past too. Summer's a little slow on this property for buck activity. Um, it usually picks up in September and then October I get a lot of daylight movement, which is, um, you know, I guess in terms of hunting, it it doesn't make for necessarily great and, uh, flattering, uh, velvet pictures per se. Uh, but it definitely gives me the better opportunity during hunting season to have a chance at a, at a decent deer. So did some of that also did some spraying, uh, got one of the uh, fields or one of the areas that I'm going to be putting in a fall plot, uh, got that sprayed this past weekend. So now we'll just have a couple weeks of a, of a process to kind of get that into the ground. And, uh, and hopefully I'll get timely rain at the same time after I get the seed in the ground that'll help me out. 
as we uh, push toward fall and kind of get ready for uh, for hunting season. And outside of that, you know, I, I did kind of select a few trees, trim up a few trees uh, on this property as well, because this will be the first year that I actually hunt it. Uh, last year, I just kind of monitored it, uh, monitored it with with game cameras, and uh, I think my dad may have hunted it maybe a day or two. Um, and so really, you know, I've kind of done my assessment from, you know, spring and winter scouting, uh, last year and this year, and then hanging trail cameras for a year and just kind of watching them. And, I, and what has been a big help for me is using, you know, uh, video mode, the Exodus truck, uh, trail camera has a great video mode, the lift Two, um, the video is pretty killer on it. Um, and that's been one of the biggest helps for me is really kind of running my cameras on video mode to understand, you know, how deer are moving, um, you know, pictures do a, a great job, you know, it can be super helpful, but there, for my opinion, at least, you know, there's no, I don't know if this is, isn't necessarily the gospel here, but I really like to kind of see, especially whenever I'm not familiar with the property, I like to see the actual movement of the deer if I can, because I want to kind of see what direction they're coming from and what direction they're kind of exiting. Um, cause it'll tell me a lot more, especially, especially whenever you kind of start putting those pieces together with times of day, and now that I hopefully have a year of data on at least one of the bucks, uh, it kind of starts to help me kind of map out where he might be betting, um, where he might be betting during the early season, where he might be betting during, um, you know, when the fall hits and when pre-rut hits and stuff like that. So I really like to see the video images because it gives me a better sense as, as to how deer are, are moving. So I did that this past weekend. It was a scorcher, uh, but got all the work done. So um, hopefully, you know, here the next couple of weeks, we'll have some some busy weekends and, and get the get the seed planted and, and kind of get ready for get ready for fall. But uh, today I have a really cool show. Um, a buddy of mine, Kevin Vistason, he runs the Deer Hunter podcast. He and I get together every so often and chat. We've actually chat a fair amount either via text and you know, through phone calls and stuff like that. And when you get the two of us together, we tend to kind of go um, go on for a while just because we really like to, you know, we really appreciate each other's perspectives on hunting and not just hunting but a host of topics and that's what kevin and i kind of covered today as we definitely dive into hunting and you know we talk a little bit about how you know the podcast that we each each having a podcast how it has changed us as hunters and how we've evolved over time and um and how important that has been to us and so we talk about that a little bit we also cover a little bit of cwd conversation we cover a little bit also some of the things that we've seen in the media recently uh from some some folks who may be uh well known um you know to to a degree and some of the opinions that they've shared on a couple different platforms that might be, um, you know, how should I say, controversial, I guess. And so we cover that a little bit and we talk just a little bit about hunting's place overall and, and, and how we're doing in terms of hunters being a steward of, of that heritage. Um, so, uh, you know, I think you guys will really enjoy uh, the conversation with Kevin. I always uh, really do. Um, I will make note that I did have some microphone troubles. As I'd mentioned in a previous uh, podcast, I have a new family member in the form of a four-legged uh, furry black lab and uh, he made his introduction to my podcasting microphone um, this past week so I had a few technical issues at the upfront um, but I, I don't think it's too awfully terrible I did get it kind of corrected at about the 22 23 minute mark so if the audio at the upfront is something that you uh, that, that's bothering you you can absolutely kind of fast forward or jump to that 22 minute mark and then I've kind of got everything figured out from that point forward so with that, we'll take a quick second to talk about our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. First and foremost, we are brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest, lastest, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? 
tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. And right now, when you visit wickedtreegear.com, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and get a 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. Also, don't forget they're still running the sweepstakes where every purchase you make with Wicked Tree Gear, Tecamani Seed, or with Glacier Coolers, uh, provide you one entry into that sweepstakes to win a hunt with Whitetail Heaven Outfitter, Hunter's Choice, of Ohio, Kentucky, or Indiana hunts. So be sure to make that purchase soon if you've been putting it off recently. We're also brought to you you by Exodus Outdoor Gear. The new Exodus Trek is a byproduct of all consumer voices who have been excited about what Exodus trail cameras have to offer, but just can't fit a $200 camera in their budget, and that's okay. A budget-friendly camera backed by the industry's leading warranty is now here. The Trek comes in at $145. It has the same proprietary shell design as the Lift Series camera, same five-year warranty and unmatched customer service policies, 0.7-second trigger speed, photo, video, time-lapse, and hybrid modes, all with a simple, single-line, backlit LED display. You get also approximately 20,000 images on a one set of lithium batteries. If, you like what, if you'd like to learn more about Exodus trail cameras, check them out at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you like what you see, save yourself $20 by using the promo code TRUTH at checkout. We're also brought to you by Tecamani Seed. Everything's bigger in Texas. No matter if you're in the South, Midwest, or the Northeast, Tecamani Seed has your food plot needs covered. Visit Tecamani.com and check out their product selector tool to help pick the right seed for your food plots. Use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save 20%. And we are also brought to you by Glacier Coolers, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, camping, or fishing, you'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com, promo code TRUTH at checkout, and save 20%. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get Kevin on the line. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I am joined by a good buddy of mine. Many of you probably know him from his Deer Hunter podcast. I'm joined by my buddy Kevin Vistason by way of Michigan. What's going on, buddy? Scrambling, Clint scrambling you're a little hot under the collar yeah just <laughs> fighting fighting to stay above water i hear you man you've been getting getting slayed at work yeah work's crazy um and deer season's fast approaching uh-huh. and uh family responsibilities and uh heading out to colorado for a week here the end of july so nice. uh, it's just uh uh it's a storm Nice. What's going on in uh What's going on in Colorado? You know, my wife scheduled the trip actually a while back, um, so she could attend the uh, outdoor retailer expo. Okay, cool. There, um, that had been done. What for the years past? I believe it was in Utah, if I'm correct. And then they they moved it from there to Colorado. I think this might be the first year that it is in Colorado, but it's in. So that's the reason why it got scheduled. And then uh, my wife and I have been married for five years. And the last time we took a vacation together as a couple was our honeymoon five years ago. <laughs> yeah, I hear you there, man. For sure. Yeah. So we're uh, we're kind of killing two birds with one stone. And I'm going to – I basically have the week to do hunting-related things with uh, people that are in the Colorado area. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked. Nice, man. Yeah. Dude, I love Colorado. That's one of the places – Megan and I actually at one point looked at moving to when we were considering a move back to Pennsylvania. Um, it was Denver areas where I guess we were really kind of looking, 
and I had an opportunity to take a gig in um, Boulder and did not take it um, and ended up, in, of course, in, in Philadelphia in, instead, which was probably for the best just because, you know, we have young daughters, as you know, and she can be around her grandparents and stuff like that. But Colorado is definitely one of those places where we both kind of point to that maybe one day we'll make it there. So I'm going to say that I'm 100% jealous that you're going to Colorado this time of year. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I'm packing everything that I need for a week in my uh, Kafaru backpack and that's my travel luggage and i hope to hook up with those guys when i'm over there um and yeah i want to take that backpack man that thing's got more options than netflix so (laughs) i want to uh firsthand go in there and have aaron snyder show me you know how all the features and the adjustments work i you know i've had the thing for six months now i got a pretty good handle on it but you know with something like that uh, a guy like him is going to show you a couple things that you had no idea that the thing was capable of doing or being used in that manner so i'm i'm kind of excited about that and then another thing that's cool that i just set up yesterday i've been talking back and forth with him for a while but it's actually scheduled now on the calendars when i'm over there i'm going into uh um, Rocky Mountain Specialties and meeting with a uh, gentleman, Tom Clum Sr., and I'm going to get uh, archery lessons for the, the afternoon. So Nice. I thought, now, that's, is that traditional? Yeah, he's a traditional archer. So, you know, the foundation of archery obviously carries through no matter what you're shooting, longbow, recurve, compound. Right. Um, so I figured that's like the that's a guy to learn from right and yeah. i've never had any coaching uh, ever uh you know self-taught myself how to shoot a bow and spend some time at some archery ranges when i was younger but actually have someone that knows what they're doing sit down with me for an afternoon is going to be unbelievably valuable to me so oh yeah man i mean that was kind of how you know i got started the same way where i just picked up a bow and started shooting and it wasn't until you know I started really kind of talking with our mutual buddy, old Greg Litzinger or whatever, and realized that he lived as close to me as he does. And, you know, of course he's a good dude. And we started going to the range together once in a while. And, you know, he kind of, he didn't, he didn't, I guess, suggest any tips right away per se. You know, I asked him, he wasn't going to be forward and say, Hey, I think you could change a couple things. You know, it's not, not his style. And, and we went out and shot the one day and, I just asked him, I was like, Hey, while we're shooting the course, you know, don't not while I'm, you know, at the bags or whatever, not while we're going through the course. Cause just kind of watch me as I shoot the entire course. And when we're done, I'd like to go back to the bags and you just let me know if there's things you see that I'm just way off. It's going to help me be more consistent. And there were a couple things, you know, some small things that he pointed out that, you know, there's small things to correct, but they make a huge difference as you know, we all know with archery, it's like the smallest details are the, are the ones that are, you know, oftentimes make, make or break, you know, your consistency. And then of course, you know, a kill shot versus a wounded in tracking or a, or a miss, you know? So. Yeah. What did I hear? Somebody say a difference between a, like a kill shot and a death shot, like a a lethal shot, you know, something that's going to kill the deer or, you know, a death shot. And I don't think that's exactly how they worded it, but where you are just 10 ringing the things going, you know, right the things going 50 yards if it's lucky and that's that's what i'm uh 
that's what I'm looking for. Uh, you know, it's been two seasons now for me. I'll be going into year three. I haven't uh, killed a deer with archery equipment in the last couple of years. So I got a touch of an itchy uh, trigger finger. <laughs> and a, a goal of mine going into this season is to put a deer down with uh, archery equipment. Uh, I don't, you know, if it's my recurve or my uh, compound, either way, I, I don't much care. But uh, right. I want to get a I'm, I'm just jacked up about bow hunting, man. I'm, I'm, a, I'm falling to pieces here. It's the, <laughs> you know, these cold, crisp morning. We've had some interesting weather here. It's been really hot, but we've had cool nights. And in the yeah. evenings and in the morning, man, you can like, you can just feel it in yeah. the air that it's coming. Yeah, I think we're just getting a touch of what you're talking about now because the past, like, it was, it was just Africa hot. It felt like for like two weeks. Um, and then I went on vacation, went north, you know, went up toward uh, Cape Cod. And so it was a little cooler up there as you, as you got a little further north. But came back and the weather had changed a little bit, which was nice. And we were definitely getting those kind of, it's getting into like the low 60s, maybe even getting into like the 50s. You know, I think last night my wife said it was going to be like 50 degrees, you know, the, the overnight low. Going outside in the morning, it's nice and kind of cool still when I take the dog out and there's some dew on the grass and it smells like, you know how you get that smell when the weather starts to change a little bit right before hunting season. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, I start getting that in the nostrils and, and then I get the, what I like to refer to as the fuckets and don't want to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That's dude. Yeah. I definitely have that issue. Uh, yeah. I was just talking with a buddy yesterday and he said over the summer, he has a hard time, you know, when, work wants him to do any overtime or Saturdays all he wants to do is be on the boat and I I feel him there I'm I'm yeah. but I can manage the summer times but when the fall comes around man like oh man it is just a constant struggle for me to stay focused you know oh I know dude it's like I just I daydream all day about how could I possibly create a scenario for myself where I don't mind working like working's not the issue you know what I mean it's it's more the the hours in which I'm asked to work, I think, is, or the having the flexibility, you know what I right. mean? Because inevitably, oh, yeah. it's like, of course, off on the weekend, and that's when I'm going to get terrible weather or, you know, whatever. <clears throat> it's not going to be a good day to hunt, and, and inevitably, the best days to go hunt are going to be the days in which I got to be, you know, at work. So that's yeah. kinda, that's how it's it a str- It's a struggle. That is tough when you walk out or you look at the weather, you know on yeah. a Tuesday when you know you got to get up and go to work the next morning and you see a 10 degree temp drop high pressure north wind <laughs> five to 10 mile an hour north wind and you're just like oh you know it's going to be this crisp quiet calm yeah morning everything you could ask for and deer are going to be on their feet and you're like man if I could just go hunting yeah, those are the days I completely stay off of Instagram and Facebook because I don't want to know anything about right. what anyone else is doing. It'll just drive me, drive me crazy. But man, I wanted to ask you, you know, because of course we're we're both podcasters, right? That's one of the things, and that's kind of how you and I met. You know, it's it's funny because you know I know I had you on when I, we did a DIY report in the fall, and you were reporting in from from Michigan. You know, in terms of what you were seeing and stuff, but. You know, the backstory, you know, how you and I kind of met was, you know, we were, um, you, you were thinking of starting the, the deer hunting, uh, the deer hunter podcast. And we started just kind of talking about, you know, different approaches and, and stuff like that. And, you know, and that's kind of how we struck up our friendship and, and relationship, you know, 
um, which is cool because it's different ways that, you know, podcasting can kind of bring folks together. And, you know, without podcasting, it's like you and I probably would have never met in a million years, you know, by, by chance. So, no, you no. know, but it's one of those things where it's like, I'm always interested to talk to, to, to guys that, that, you know, either on the show or, you know, just when we run into each other, you know, out about whether it's at trade shows or whatever that are podcasting too. Cause I'm always curious to see how it's, how it's impacted them. Right. And in, in, in a multitude of ways. So I'm curious with you, man, like, you know, it has, I'll just start with the broad question, right? The broad level question is, do you think as you've started your podcast and you're a year in, so congratulations on your year anniversary, um, yeah, as you're in a year, right? Are, do you feel like it has changed you at all? And when I say changed you, not like the fiber of who you are per se, but more of like your approach, how you hunt like, well, I guess we'll start there. Oh yeah, man. In so many ways. Uh, and going back to what you were just saying, uh, we started communicating because I was a fan of your podcast. I listened to your podcast. I enjoyed your podcast. I started following you on social media. And when I decided that I was going to take a go at it, I, uh, at one point was struggling with some audio stuff and I reached out to you and like instantly you got back to me and you were so helpful, man, like helping me get started and set up. Um, and I'm forever grateful, you know, for oh, that. Man. Glad to help, brother. That was, you know, yeah, it's uh, there's a uh, I don't know. I, I think when you and I were talking about it, it was like the, the, the notion really was like the more voices we have saying the right things and, and doing the right things, you know, for the right reasons is more important than than anything else you know so yeah but i was it was easy to identify with you and i i I don't know if it's older age or that i specifically pay attention to it but i can tell right away now people that do and don't have egos Mm -hmm. and you 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 know right away i was able to identify with you with how open you were that you weren't like a ego centric person because a lot of times well you know, a guy's reaching out to you for advice to do something that potentially you could identify as being a competitive, right. you know, yeah. competitive thing. And for you to just say, oh, yeah, here, do this, do this, do this, you know. <laughs> right. And that's how I operate, too. You know, I'm here to help uh, and grow. And uh, podcasting has done so much for me. You know, they, there's a lot to be said for, and you'll hear people say this, uh, if you want to grow as a person, surround yourself with people that you want to identify with, um, mm. and that'll do so much for you. Yeah. And when you're podcasting, you build this this network and you socialize with these group of people, and you become friends with people that you would have never, you know, that you never would have otherwise. And so you're essentially surrounding yourself by these people, whether it's the people that you have on the show or the people that you reach out to for help or your the you know the guys and girls that tune in every week mm-hmm. and uh you surround yourself with those people and they're obviously share the same passion that you do or they wouldn't be involved mm-hmm. and uh man it's just been it's just been a crazy year um i feel i'm in a lot better place uh as a deer hunter without without question i mean right. man if we're just talking about deer hunting period like well just for an example like last spring when i went scouting Mm -hmm. i hiked like 
16 miles uh, through the big woods in northern Michigan. Right. And at the end of the day, I accomplished nothing. <laughs> I did not right. find one spot that I deemed worthy of going through the work to get to to be worth traveling back out to to hunt. I mean, everything was anything that even had like a little bit of potential was such a would be such an investment in time and effort to hunt that it was just like, man, that that was a bummer. So <laughs> I guess two things. I, I scratched off a huge chunk of woods that I would never hunt. Right. But two, I was a little bit aggravated that I invested that time and that effort. Come a year later, I hiked. I went by myself. That's one thing I figured out too. If uh, if I need to get work done, I got to be alone. I can't yeah. take friends because just I lose focus. So I went one day. I got up early. Uh, I made coffee on the road with a jet boil when I got to the area that I was looking to scout and I threw my backpack on and I hit it and, uh, I hit eight miles that day and I ended up prepping six locations, uh, to go back and hunt this fall that are all extremely promising. And, uh, I hung four trail cameras that I'll revisit probably, mm, early September, I'll go pull them just to get a general idea of deer numbers and what deer are in the areas. But in one day, uh, you know, I was tenfold more efficient than I was in the same day a year ago, covering half the ground. And it's just taken the advice from people that I've communicated with and paying closer attention and adjusting my mindset. So yeah, man, I don't know that anything will have ever impacted my life. Like, starting this venture has right yeah i hear you man i mean i think if for me it's been oh man you know i it's it's hard to figure out where to where to start really you know you know what i mean because it's it, it's done like pretty much a 180 you know um from how i used to hunt to how i hunt now like it's not even not even comparable um and you mentioned something there about changing your mindset you know, and I think that that for me was probably the, the biggest thing, right? It's like you, you, you always kind of knew or growing up at least, you know, it's like you, you knew anecdotally what you should be looking for to a degree, right? But it was just, you know, I think the, my mindset was so much more closed then that I wouldn't allow myself to see what I needed to see, you know? And it's funny because like I, I've kind of picked up on that in a couple of different places, but where it came through the most was like, I was talking to a guy on the show the one day and he started talking about just, you know, hunting aggressively, but not being married to a, a place or a deer per se. And he does a lot of still hunting to his spots. And even if he has a stand kind of location that he wants to jump on, you know, that he thinks is really promising. If he's still hunting his way to his stand that morning with the perfect conditions for that stand and he finds hot sign on his way to where he's going, he's stopping and hunting that hot sign. You know what I mean? Like he's that flexible in his plan um, that he's willing to do that. And I'm, that's something for me that I'm, I'm still trying to get better at. I'm not quite there yet. Um, but I think this year I'll be more flexible. That's what kind of doomed me last year in Ohio was just that not being open-minded enough and being kind of stuck to my plan. Sure. Yeah. All right, folks, 
We are back. You would think two guys that have, what, about 140 podcasts records between the two of us could manage to record together with no challenges, but not the case. Technology. I'm going to go ahead and blame it on the new dog, Kevin. I'm going to say the new dog is the reason why that happened. You're going to have plenty of stuff. You got a black lab, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have plenty of things to blame on that dog, man. (laughs) That's right, man. That's right. Hopefully, you know. They're troublemakers. Dude, it's a, he's a piece of work, man. He's got a lot of drive. Um, You know, I I had, and the dogs I've had in the past were Rottweilers and um, English Mastiffs. You know, that's what I, you know, had whenever I lived in Orlando and then, you know, growing up, I had, um, you know, typically we had golden retrievers growing up. But this lab, man, he has got some serious drive and he is quite the escape artist. He's managed to get out of his uh, his crate because I try to, I usually crate train, train until I can trust them, you know, in the house entirely. And he has broken out of that, I think, five out of the eight times, uh, five out of the first eight times he was in it, he broke out. And I found him like hanging out in the house. (laughs) So, but I think we, I think we might've nipped that. Uh, Now I think I've got him kind of comfortable with it to where he's, he's not uncomfortable in the cage anymore. So, so that's good. And now if, as long as he stays in there, he won't eat my microphone because he ate one microphone and some, some computer cables to this point. So not, not bad for like a week and a half's worth of work. I've only had him like a week and a half and he's managed to do that. So. But I digress. So what were we talking about before we had the uh, the dog snafu with the with the computer and the and the recording? We were talking about how podcasting has changed our approach to hunting, and we both kind of talked about you know some of the ways that it, it, it changed changed us. And I think we were covering or just touching on like the mindset perspective that it that it has changed. You know, for yeah. you know, it was like one of the things that you had mentioned, which really kind of I think became even more I think important or apparent to me was just being open-minded and not being married to a plan. Like, so whenever you're kind of laying out your plan, I know you said, you know, you, you hit the big woods solo and prepped some, some areas, you know, are you, do you get kind of married to that scenario that you're kind of laying out your groundwork, you know, or are you pretty flexible when you hit the timber overall? I'm going to be super flexible this year. Cause I mean, I probably scouted, um, man, I mean, I don't need, it's hard to say like acreage wise, mm. I guess, but, uh, I have so many spots and so many different properties, uh, that I'm going to be hunting this year that, uh, no, I'm not going to be married to anything at all. Um, and that's one of the biggest things I've been trying to work on is, uh, the mental side of things is kind of reprogramming my brain, right. And not letting it beat me because it never fails. You know, I kind of feel like I know what I need to do now, but I have to beat myself and execute that versus reverting to, you know, going an easier route so that I just see deer in general, um, or, put my camera in places where I know I'm going to get photos of big bucks so that I'm building this like false confidence. Mm-hmm. I really want to get, you know, I, I would really, really like to, uh, kill a mature deer this year here in Michigan. And in order to do that, I got to basically hunt different than I've hunted for the last 20 years. 
and I know how to hunt. I know how to go out and, you know, if the objective is to go out and kill a deer, uh, I can do that. Right. But if the objective is to go out and kill, you know, a big mature deer that has learned in four or five years to know how to evade the common hunter, um, you got to do it differently. And I don't want to beat myself. I feel like I'm going to be my own biggest enemy because I'm going to revert to the way I've done things in the past as soon as my confidence starts slipping. And uh, so much of the hunting, I I guess the word is industry, um, but gear and tactics, so much of it is 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 sold and promised to build like these false false expectations you know you Mm -hmm. you get these little bumps of confidence from i think products trail camera photos you know what's the newest thing that you're gonna throw out or have in your pack that's gonna bring deer to you and uh, i'm trying to erase all that and put myself in a position with the things that i've learned to know where to be you know, where a mature buck might be bedded and where he's going to travel in and out of that, I'm going to have an opportunity to, to kill one. Right. Yeah. I think, man, it's the whole confidence thing is, is, is big time, right? It's, it's one of those things. If you, it's just like sports, right? If you walk into a match, you know, a wrestling match, a UFC match, football game, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And you think that you don't have a chance when you walk out there, you know, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. You know, it's like, I love, that's one of my favorite quotes is, you know, cause it's, it's so applicable to so many different things, right? Not just hunting, but just life in general. Right. Um, you know, I think I, I, I want to touch on the, the hunting industry thing a little bit, cause you had mentioned it and I think you're a hundred percent right. Cause I think too many folks start to rely on things that, people are promising them right and and a lot of times you know the people who are promising you these things aren't any better of a hunter than you are <laughs> you know in a, in a lot of cases you know what i mean yeah. um they just happen to work for a company they got a marketing job just like you know i have a marketing job but they just happen to work for you know realtree or whomever it might be you know what i mean and now all of a sudden they've become an expert you know um because of who they're affiliated with not because of what they're capable of or, you know, what they've experienced or, you know, whatever, whatever the case might be. You know, what I will say is, you know, is that if you have the confidence and you have the right approach, there are certain products, right? Or there are certain things, products or tactics, right? Which, which, whichever that can help you kind of increase your percentage chance by like three to 5%. You know what I mean? Like it can give you just that that three to five yards or feet or whatever it might be that you need that deer to come closer. That it might be able to help you get that, but it's by no means going to put you in front of the deer. It's not going to do the work for you. You know what I mean? Like it's still it's still you have to understand how to hunt that animal at the end of, at the end of the day. There's there's no you know elixir for that. And what I've personally found is like where I actually have begun to I guess draw the most of my confidence is in my bow and not per se my bow necessarily, but like my shot, right? Because this year I feel like my shot has come together so much more than any year previously that 
I know I, I switched to a single pin site, you know, so I'm shooting a single pin at, set at 25 yards and I'm shooting it out the 37 yards. It's kind of like my range that I cut off, right? 37 yards. I'm good. But it's like anything 37 yards in and, and in with that 25 yard pin, it, if it gives me a window, it's like, I know I can kill it, you know? And so I think for me, that is like a huge confidence boosters knowing that when the moment comes that, if it's in that in that area, I'm 100% confident in my shot. Like, I don't have a worry about whether or not I can make that shot or not. You know, whether it's hard quartering away, hard quartering toward, you know, I practice all those scenarios, at, you know, at odd yardages with that single pin sight. So, for me, I think that's where I'm drawing the most of my confidence now, just knowing that I can get the job done whenever that animal presents. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm... I'm I'm trying to get the opportunity. Uh, for me, that's my biggest focus point is uh, having the opportunity to get to that level. You know, mm-hmm. it's like last, I mean, you know, uh, Michigan's tough place, man. Mm-hmm. Like last yeah. year, I've hunted for 20 years. Last year was the first, well, I guess there's been a handful of times I've seen, you know, a couple decent deer here in michigan but you know last year was the first year where i really had an opportunity to to kill one it took me 20 years you know <laughs> right i don't want to wait another 20 years to kill another <laughs> one i want to kill one this year so right. and that's one thing that i really come to recognize is uh and i've talked with people that have uh i guess they're highly decorated mm-hmm. you know uh public land deer hunters around here and uh they'll tell you that deer you know the the big bucks there they'll go fully nocturnal like you literally have to be on top of them you got to know exactly where they are you got to be going in there with the intent that and the confidence that you know exactly where that deer is and you're going to get within 100 yards of him and get set up quietly and when he stands up you know out of his bed or comes back to his bed that you've you've essentially beat him there or got within his you've beat his senses he didn't smell you he didn't see you he didn't hear you come in to the zone that he essentially deems safe because his senses protect him from you coming into that zone so you got to be a predator at the highest level man and it takes some work and uh it's going to take some risk and some learning but i learned some stuff last year and uh I feel like this year going into it, my approach is going to be a little bit different. I'm, I'm pretty committed to the, the mobile hunting mm-hmm. this year. And, uh, I'm going to be, you know, sitting the same tree, you know, I have a couple spots that I just know through history are going to be producers. So I might sit them a handful of times, but, uh, for the most part, I'm going to be doing a lot of first sets. Um, a lot of first sits and, uh, a lot of it's going to be on public land where I may not even see a deer where in my head, I know that I could go to a piece of private land that I have access to where I'm going to see half a dozen deer, but am I going to see the deer that I want to take? Right. So I got to, like I said, focus on beat, you know, not letting myself beat me this season more than anything. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's see a bunch of deer or see the right deer, right? It's like, I want to see the right deer, 
you know, that's my, right. my approach is kind of the, the same. It's like, I'd rather sit for three days and not see a single deer and know that when I do see one, I have a pretty good chance of it being the one that I want to pull my bow back on, you know? Sure. Um, and that was kind of what <laughs> unfolded in Ohio last year it was just, we didn't see a lot of deer, but we knew that if we did, it, it could possibly be, you know, something to, um, get excited about, um, just didn't come to fruition. But, you know, it's the same type of thing. Well, where I made my big mistake there was I got married to a plan um, and wanted to work my plan. And I just wasn't wasn't flexible enough. You know, there was one thing that you mentioned there, though, as we were as as you were kind of, you know, talking about your uh, approach for this year. And, you know, you had mentioned, you know, you didn't want to wait as long to have an opportunity to, to to kill a nice, you know, mature deer again. And, you know. I'm just curious, man, because that, that statement, it's something that I guess I kind of battled with for a while and it kind of came to a head last year um, was, you know, as you have the podcast, right. And, you know, as you, as you do it more often and stuff like that, it's like, I'm, I know that you're experiencing these things too. It's like, you know, people will reach out and ask you some questions and stuff like that. And I always am super appreciative that anyone gives enough of a shit to ask me <laughs> about my opinion about something, you know, related right. to money. It's like the coolest thing ever. Um, but, you know, do you feel, you know, and I'll give you, I guess, my perspective, but I want to hear yours first. Do you feel any additional pressure or stress related to deer hunting because you have a hunting podcast that's kind of focused on deer hunting? And how does that play into, like, your approach? You know, I wouldn't say that I feel any pressure or stress because this thing, this whole thing will never have changed who I was before I started it. I love to deer hunt and i'll i'll say you know i've been talking the last couple of minutes about one of my goals this year is to kill a, a mature deer there's probably a good chance that i'm going to kill a not mature deer too because <laughs> right. i love deer hunting man like and i'm glad that i don't only need to go out and try to kill some giant antler old buck to satisfy myself maybe at some point that's where i'll be I don't really see that with myself. Like I just love being in the woods and I love the act of drawing a bow on animal and I love the act of a perfectly placed shot. And dude, I made deer ribs last weekend. Dude, I saw a picture of those. Oh my God. So we're going to (laughs) get off topic real quick. You're going to have to bring reel me back, but this is too good to not share. Uh, I never did deer ribs before. I've always just thrown them, you know, thrown them away with the carcass, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I got a bigger buck last year. It's a reasonable amount of meat on the ribs. So I cut the rib racks off. They've been in the freezer. And my wife was like, are you going to do anything with these? You know, they're taking up a lot of room. And uh, I thought, man, 4th of July, what a good opportunity. I'll have the day off. I can commit the time to doing them. So I thawed them out a, a couple days prior. And I dry rubbed them with a, you know, whatever, whatever you want. You know, I did a barbecue rub and I let them sit in the fridge on a rack for like two days and, you know, basically dry brine them, you know, it soaks all that seasoning in. Right. And then, uh, I, I cut them down the middle and made sections of them so that I could fit them in the crock pot. And I put them in the crock pot with beef broth and slow cooked them for, we went out on the boat, so they slow cooked for like six hours. And when it came back in, I mean, it was hard to get them out of the crock pot without them falling apart. Nice. But I took them out of the crock pot, and I threw them on the grill, and it gave them a good, you know, good char. And then uh, basted them down with some barbecue sauce. 
dude, I am not exaggerating what I'm telling you right now. If you give me the choice between next year, if I have to discard my tenderloins or my ribs, it might be the tenderloins that would go in the garbage. (laughs) They were that good. They were that good. Nice. So what I'm emphasizing is I love eating deer meat. So the the whole tag soup thing is never going to be for me. Right. I just love deer hunting. I love eating deer. But I've shot a lot of deer. So, you know, I'm pretty confident that I can hold off for a reasonable part of the season and try to pursue, you know, getting a, you know, a bigger deer before I just go flinging arrows everywhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, for me, it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of both, right? It, it, I, I definitely felt at some point, you know, like I was putting, I don't feel like there was outside pressure necessarily. I think it was all that I was making. I was creating the pressure. Um, you know, part of it was, was, you know, had a really good hunt in Ohio, you know, two years ago and had, you know, had a nice deer and, you know, and so for me, I was just, I'm a goal oriented person, you know? So for me, it was like, whatever it is next, it's like, I want to try to hold out, you know, and go after a mature deer that is equal to, or, um, or more mature or bigger. So either or, right. So or older than a three and a half year old, you know, or bigger than whatever the one I shot scored. And it, it really kind of bummed me out to be honest, you know what I mean? Like I went into last year and I had a target deer that I was after. He was a nice deer and it, you know, I knew the property he was on. I was going to have a very limited window of opportunity to hunt him and, you know, before he would get pushed to, to be in nocturnal and, and I saw him opening day and didn't get a shot. You know, he just stayed behind some brush and just, you know, I was where I needed to be. Just, I needed a couple more feet and, uh, was bummed out about it. And I ended up shooting the deer that I ended up shooting because I just kind of said, screw it, man. It's like, I, you know, I'm going to go shoot whatever deer makes me happy at this point. You know, it's like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be stressed out about it. I don't want to be miserable about it. I don't want to, you know, start to, you know, I love to hunt. I love being in the timber. I love just going out and scouting. I love checking trail cameras. I love doing all the farm work on some of the family farms, like to get, you know, to get ready for the season. I love hanging tree stands. Like I like all of it, you know? And I was like, I don't want this to turn into something that I start to, to loathe to a degree, you know what I mean? Because it's, you know, because, you know, there was this false expectation I was putting on myself because it was, you know, you have the show and people tune in, listen about deer hunting. You know, if I'm not able to produce at a reasonable level, then why the hell should anyone listen to me? Which was a completely wrong way to think about it. Right. Um, and so I had to kind of check myself and kind of reevaluate why I was, um, you know, what, what the fun aspects of it were for me and kind of recalibrate and refocus on those things. So it's like I stopped taking any of the, any of the camera equipment, like all the filming stuff. I started leaving it all at home, you know, and just kind of going out in a more like minimalist approach, just whatever I needed to get into the tree stand and have a set. That was what I started doing, you know, and, and it, you know, paid off with, you know, killing a deer. Um, you know, one, I was super stoked to, you know, shoot and, uh, and it's definitely changed. That deer has changed, you know, I'm looking at the the European mount right now, and it's by far not the biggest deer I've ever shot. Not even the biggest one I've shot in Pennsylvania. But that deer probably will do more for me in terms of how I approach hunting than any of the other deer that I've ever ever 
had an opportunity to kill, if that makes sense. Yeah, it sounds like it helped you rewind and realize why you started this and why you're, you know, why you're doing it to begin with. And, uh, you know, for me, uh, I guess, you know, right when I started this, I made no, I made no qualms about saying like, hey, follow this platform if you want to be the best deer hunter in the world. It was more of like, if this is a going to be a contest to, to have as much fun as right. you possibly can doing this, then we'll, this platform will be in the running because I just enjoy deer hunting so much and I can, I can share that with people. And, uh, you know, if, if the comp, if the, if the end goal was to, you know, kill the biggest deer and try to impress people and think that they should listen to everything that I say and take it as gospel well i would need to relocate <laughs> like you know what i mean right it, you know i'd have to go out to you know iowa or kansas or one of those states but if if you can just focus on enjoying it and passing that along to other people i mean that's what's going to bring you know bring people into this this lifestyle is showing them that it's fun and uh it'll overall increase their their quality of life you know yeah. and I, I i feel like i i got off track and i told and i knew that was going to happen as soon as i started talking about the deer ribs but <laughs> they were they were that good they and were to, that good to say uh you know people say oh there's no meat on there dude it took me three sittings to eat one side of those ribs and i can eat <laughs> nice. and there was a lot there but what i was getting at is that um i I'll I'll always just want to share with people that like this this is a a great lifestyle and you can have a lot of fun doing this you can benefit your mental health your physical health I mean there's no arguments about it uh, go, good luck going to the grocery store and buying better food it's not going to happen you right. know there you know people almost will joke about it now because so many people hashtag organic and whatnot but I mean. Man, I've been doing this for 20 years. Like, I didn't just recently get into it because it was a popular tagline. Um, doesn't get much more organic, you know what I mean? So, no, no, it absolutely doesn't. And so, you know, I'm going to continue to evolve, and people that want to do the same are just going to try to talk to people that, uh, you know, have done more than I am and try to grow with them. And uh, the other thing that I was going to say is that, uh, man, I, I, I keep losing my track of mind because as soon as you brought up the, the food thing, um, the deer rip just, <laughs> just screwed my whole, screwed my whole night up. Right. I, honestly, man. It, well, here's, I got to get some of these if, ribs in, man. I'm just, I'm just saying I got home late and have not eaten dinner yet. And so I'm just sitting here starving, salivating beer. Yeah. Yeah absolutely um i don't know man i'm just tore up about deer hunting um it, whether it's a doe this year you know some of my goals are to just not some of my goal is to make a clean kill and go out and enjoy it and and, and i'm conscious i'm very conscious to the fact that if i go out this year and i kill the new state record whitetail there's probably a good chance that my podcast is going to do better. Right. You know, 
but it doesn't put pressure on me. I don't feel any pressure by that because that's not why I got into doing this, but I'm conscious of the fact that yes, that would benefit, you know, my platform and it's, it's a driving factor without question. Uh, so, but it's not the end all be all for me. It never was and it never will be. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Right. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, that's that's kind of what I had to get back to last year was just kind of recognizing that, you know, <clears throat> my intention whenever I kind of begun this voyage, you know, it's like I didn't know what it was going to be or what it was going to do. I didn't know if I was going to last three episodes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I just sure. didn't have any plans beyond like, hey, I'm going to do a podcast and just see what happens. Um and that was really kind of the goal, like in starting it was that I was living in an area that hunting wasn't really popular, you know, in a, you know, metro area outside of, you know, the suburb, suburbs of Philadelphia. And I was really looking for a way to try to connect with people who were into hunting also. That was really like what it, what it was. It's like, I need to find some people who I can talk to because I'm clearly not going to meet them in the type of field that I work in, you know, for the most part. Um you know, and so that was really the kind of driving force. And then it kind of became, you know, from that, it kind of became, you know, once I realized I was going to be doing this longer than maybe I had first anticipated, um, it was, how can I start to like help folks? Like if people need more information, can I help kind of share more information or share my experiences or my perspectives or, or whatever the case might be. And then this year it morphed yet again. And it was really after, you know, what we talked about with that, that deer. And whenever I say he changed like my approach to things in a, in a very impactful way. It's like, it, you know, it wasn't just how I'm going to approach hunting. It's kind of how I approach being a steward of hunting for lack of a better way to put it, you know? Um, and so this year I actually, one of my goals was to take a new adult hunter out into the timber and introduce them to hunting for the first time. And I'll tell you what, man, there's as, as jacked up as you're getting about the ribs, I don't know if I can match the ribs, but I will say this, that I don't know that I've ever been more excited to take someone to go hunting than I was when I took my buddy Trevor with me for the first time and put a, you know, a shotgun in his hand and said, we're going turkey hunting, get your license, take your tests, and we're going to hit the timber, and I'm going to introduce you to the outdoors and, and let you experience why I love this so much. And to watch his face and like you know, just like the conversations that we would have afterwards, like, like he's in it, like, that's it. Like he wants to deer hunt now. He wants to go goose hunt this, this winter with me, taking duck, uh, duck hunting and goose hunting. He wants to go do a uh, rifle. He wants to rifle hunt this year at the family farm for, for deer season. He would like to try that. So he's kind of all in on it, man. And then there's, I don't know that there's anything more gratifying than, you know, helping him number one, have that outlet but then also at the same time creating another household that where he's a hunter and at minimum the remainder of his household will always be pro hunting like that to me being able to support hunting that way was just a really cool and unique experience 
Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I brought a couple buddies into the lifestyle, and you know what's going to end up happening to you, right? He's going to kill a bigger deer than you, and you're going to be <laughs> aggravated as hell. It's going to happen, man. It uh, happened to me. My buddy, my uh, my buddy Nick, <clears throat> he grew up in a more of an urban area than I did, and he wasn't exposed to hunting until he was. Uh, mm, I think we're graduate. We were graduated from high school, you know, just getting into early college, and. Uh, got him set with set up with a bow took him deer hunting uh god i think on our first hunting trip he uh he shot a double lunged doe and uh it was a done deal man he was all in i mean to the fact where like when he bought his first house he wanted to make sure that he could walk out his back door and go go deer hunting and that's awesome he's killed two deer that are you know bigger than any deer that i've ever killed three deer now three deer he went down to ohio and killed a big 10 point last year and then on our northern michigan property he shot arguably the biggest deer that ever came off there 133 inch eight point and then uh yeah yeah big woods northern michigan chocolate horned eight point that scored 133 and change uh four-year-old giant buck and then uh, behind his house on his own property last year, he shot a 14 point. So, dude's doing it's just okay, like, man. <laughs> yeah, right. So I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe it won't be that um, that amplified for you, but that's been my experience with it. <laughs> so I was like, what the heck, man? Right. I, I mean, look, man. It's like if he if if he gets into hunting that hardcore and he starts dropping hammers, dude, that would be like that would be awesome. Like I. I would be, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, man, it's funny, it's like, it's almost like, I don't want to say, you know, he's a grown-ass man, so I don't want to say it's like taking my daughter hunting or anything like that, you know what I mean, but just, sure, you know, you get that kind of excitement, man, like, you just appreciate the fact that someone is appreciating, you know, you introducing them to something that's just, that you hold sacred, and that was one of the things that he'd said to me, which was really kind of interesting, where, and it's probably because he's older, too, right, because, you know, Trevor's in his, you know, mid to latish 30s, and the one thing that he had said was, you know, that he, at one point we were walking through the woods and he recognized that neither my friend Wilson or I, cause we both kind of, we both went with him. Um, neither of us were carrying guns. Like we both had cameras. We were like, you know, we'll film something, film it if something happens or whatever. And, uh, Wilson's a much better caller than I am. So he was calling and, uh, he was like, I'm walking through the woods with you guys. He's like, and I'm recognizing that neither of you have a gun. So if we see anything today, he was like, there's not a chance that you guys are going to kill anything. He's like, and you guys are hunters. He was like, and it dawned on me that you guys were doing all of this for me. Like this, that you were taking your not, he's like, set aside the time that you've spent like talking to me about it and, you know, and taking me to shoot, to, to get familiar with the shotgun and answering my questions about, you know, the hunting test I was going to take and like all those things. He's like, but you took like an entire day out of your life of doing anything else when you could be hunting and walk through the woods with me to try to get me an opportunity to have this experience. He was like, he's like, in that moment, he's like, I kind of recognized like the brotherhood. And he's like, and just watching how you and Wilson interacted with each other and how you were, inter- you guys were interacting with me, even though I was new to it. He was like the brotherhood of hunting. He was like, was just really apparent. He's like, and that was just something that he had never kind of really experienced before was something like that. And I thought that that was really cool and really kind of insightful from him and interesting that he was that perceptive to kind of pick that up. 
Yeah, well, let's face it, man. Uh, there's a thing going on with modern day society where we're disconnected. We don't talk to our neighbors. We don't talk to our coworkers. If we do, it's in passing. And there's something different that happens when you're out hunting and you're working as a team and you, I guess you have a common goal or a common interest, but yeah, I mean, you can't build a relationship as strong as you can with a friend when you guys hunt together. It's just crazy. It's a, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. I mean, and people that have never experienced that, I could, I can see why it would just be, it would be like an, an addictive chemical to them. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and you're right. I mean, it's like, you don't build those bonds like that other ways i mean there's dudes and i'm sure you have the same experience too there's guys that i hunt with i may only talk to them like right around hunting season and then maybe when we hunt together and maybe we don't talk but once once a month or whatever but as soon as we get together it's like we've it's like we've lived next door to each other for 20 years i mean you and i are a good example right it's like we'll text each other once in a while the texts usually get pretty funny pretty good pretty racy maybe not Mm -hmm. clean enough for the podcast (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and uh you know, and then, you know, we might go two months and not share a text or anything. And then we'll have a phone call or we'll jump on and do a podcast together or whatever. And it's just like, like we live next door. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's so interesting that something. It, it is. You know. Yeah. That hunting kind of connects people in that, in that way. Yeah. No, I mean, you mentioned Greg Blitzinger earlier and, uh, you, you know, you and I had, were talking one night and you said, yeah, I see this guy on Instagram, bow hunting fiend, you know, and checked him out. And then, I don't know, it was a month or two later where you had him on your podcast. And after the podcast, I think I just shot him a message on Instagram saying, man, that's a great podcast. Awesome. This and that. And, you know, it's like all of a sudden, you know, you get a, this friend in a different state that you never even met before. And, you know, day, there's days I'll shoot him a text message and it's the same thing. It's like, mm-hmm. God, what a great, what a great dude. Like, it's just crazy how yeah it's people with the same mentality i guess and uh something and i i talked to dan infault about this uh recently is like uh the most grounded people that i know are all sportsmen they're either Mm -hmm. like really into hunting or fishing and uh they just seem to be a little more grounded and a little more in touch with reality right you know it's interesting man that you say that because i wonder if there's some type of connection between the fact that when you go out to do, you know, your, the this the hunt that you're going to do, whatever it is, duck, goose, deer, rabbit, whatever the game is that you're chasing, like you know, there's there's a possibility of like this moment of let like this moment of heaviness that's going to happen if you achieve your ultimate goal, right? Like you're going out and have to be kind of mentally prepared to to take a life, right? And at least I don't know. I think my experience, this might be what you're kind of speaking to a little bit. It's like, there's a sense of groundedness that has to come with that because that's a really important decision that you're making. You know what I mean? And and that, you know, people who can kind of reconcile that in a meaningful way and not just a blood sport kind of way, because, you know, I would, you know, those folks who have that type of approach, I mean, everyone has a right to hunt however they want to hunt. Um, Those types of folks just aren't folks I necessarily want to associate with and don't feel that they cast the best light on us as a group as a whole. Um, but with that being said, it's like, like you said, the people that you know, I surround myself with and you do as well, it's like they have an appreciation for what they're about to do or what they're about to try to do. Sure. And there's a sense of that responsibility that I think travels, not just from the hunting, but then it kind of permeates throughout the remainder of their life, whether it's them 
being a father or being a husband or, you know, being an employee or whatever it is. It's like you go do those things with an intent of doing them the right way and the best you can do them and, and, and treating people the right way while you do them. Yeah. And I, I think some of it too is like, uh, it's a biological, it's unconscious, like a biological thing that we're programmed into to enjoy and respect. And I, I think a big part of it is like, man, people were in the wilderness for way, way, way longer than we haven't been in the wilderness. And that stuff is just ingrained in you. And when you go out there, it's just like, it just kind of consumes you and takes you over and it gets, gives you a different feeling than what you can get any other way. I mean, let's face it. Like I love Instagram, but it's, it's going to come and go like Mm -hmm. the woods, the forest, you know, the hills, the open grass fields that was here before us. And it's going to be here probably after us. It's like, um, and there's something to be said for when you get out and you just disconnect from this modern society and you get time to think and clean your head and breathe clean air and be a part of the natural mm-hmm. world yeah. versus the one that we've we've built and separated some of our like primal instincts from mm-hmm. um man it just <laughs> I know that I suffer from, you know, uh, all season when it's not deer season and I'm not in the woods a lot, um, you know, of being just stressed out and I can go for a day and go out in the woods and hike and just, man, it'll chill me out for a couple weeks. Oh yeah, for sure, man. I mean, that's one of the, I think the best gifts that hunting, hunting gives is just that opportunity to, to be like, to be primitive again. You know what I mean? To get, like, there's just, like, you're right. There's something in our, like, DNA makeup. I know Joe Rogan has talked about this a little bit, just like your primal DNA or your primal genetic code or whatever, that you're kind of pre-wired to have these certain urges and, and certain gratifications that could only be explained by, you know, the our ancestors and how they had to forage and, and hunt and gather. And there's these moments of pleasure that happen that are unexplainable right sure you know like because this you know take it set a scenario for example like so a big let's take a doe right because i still get excited when does roll up on my stand you know it's like and then when you release that air that adrenaline rush after you harvest it's like you know modern person will say you're excited because you achieved your goal of harvesting that deer and you were deer hunting so then therefore that's why you were excited you know, if you went a step further, you know, or took a, f- a step further back and thought about, well, what does that mean primitively to you, right? If you don't disconnect, if you didn't disconnect yourself from like your primitive ancestry, right, through technology and our modern developments, what does that reaction mean? Well, that reaction means you're going to live now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're you're going to eat, and your family's going to eat. Therefore, you're going to have the opportunity to procreate and continue on your species. You know what I mean? Like that's, if you reel it back that far, it's like, that's what those kind of reactions are. Cause you look at kids when kids do it, when a kid fishes and catches a fish and their eyes light up and they freak out, like there's no one taught them to do that. You know right. what I mean? That's just the natural reaction that they're having. Like that comes from something deeper than liking to hunt or fish. You know what yeah. I mean? Sure. 
Yeah, it's like a fulfillment of something that's just a you know, and not everybody has it, right? No. I mean, yeah. but so some people are do, and some people don't even know they have it until they're exposed to it. And uh, I'm certainly addicted to it. I'm certainly all in. You know, it's what I look forward to all year. Yeah, for sure. Man, I wanted to talk about you know we're we're getting kind of deep here, you know, and, and we're still talking about <laughs> we're still talking about hunting, and, and but I wanted to kind of take a hard kind of segue transition here because we're, we're we're starting to talk more about you know social things and just life things in general and i wanted to kind of touch because i love talking to you about these things because we just always have really interesting conversations around this stuff and i know whenever i was on your show here i guess over the winter one of the things we talked about just a little bit was ted nugent mm. you know, and i know as 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 i am i know you you know, do listen to the, to the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh yeah. You know, and, oh, we yeah. Were, and we were sharing some pretty great texts that day. That that was some of the racy ones that we might not be able to talk about while we we're talking here. But, uh, as we were both kind of catching up on that podcast that he did with Ted Nugent, it just kind of made me think back to the conversation that we had about yeah, him, did. you know, for sure. a couple months prior to that. And so, you know, I'll start it off by saying this, because I, I want to kind of get your perspective on how you felt about his overall, you know, his overall message and just the overall con- conversation. Because I know when when we spoke or when we were texting, the one text that we probably can share is that we both kind of agreed, like, the guy's, well, he's not, you know, people are, are, dis- I don't want to say discrediting him, but they are, they are discrediting themselves, I guess I will say if they assume or imply that that he's not an intelligent man because that couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth right you know it's like the guy is well read on many topics is he a little is he a little crazy is he a little out there sure he is right but you know everyone has a touch of crazy i think you know it's just kind of how we how we all roll some of ours is a little bit more pronounced than others um but we both what we both kind of agreed on though was that the dude sucks in short form media yep. is really good in long form media when he can explain oh, yeah. himself, you know? So I'm just curious what your thoughts on his overall like message approach and you know, that, that conversation was, I think it was amazing. Honestly. I mean, I've listened to Joe Rogan for years now and, uh, I don't, it's right up there. I mean, in a half a dozen of some of the best ones that I've ever listened to. I mean, yeah. And it was weird. It started off kind of clunky and it took them a while to get going. It took about 30 minutes Mm -hmm. uh, for them to kind of draw, you know, find their groove and draw me in. And, uh, yeah, I think in short format that Ted Nugent is like detrimental. Like he's just, um, He's just a little too harsh for people are going to tune out before they're going to tune in if they're not in agreement with him or they don't have a preconceived notion that they like him and know who he is and what he's about. But, man, give him a chance. That podcast was amazing. I mean, the the amount of facts Mm -hmm. that that guy brings and the knowledge that he has. And, you know, maybe some of it's not accurate. Right. right, right. Yeah, I mean, of course, you have to take a little bit of that with like a grain of salt because whenever he spits some facts and stuff like that, it's like you have to, you have to kind of, you don't know where he's getting his information, right? Because what one person calls fact, another person calls opinion. Right. You know what I yeah. mean? So 
you know, and, and then just in, in talking and listening to him talk, it's like he, and, and rightly so, he has a disdain for certain types of bodies that do research and, you know, that he doesn't feel that they're credible and stuff like that, right? So right. It, so at some point it's like, okay, well, what is a credible source then for you? You know what sure. I mean? And is it truly credible? Because it could be as non-credible as the source that you're deeming to be not credible. You know what I mean? Right. Sure. So, yep. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just no, 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 point. not at all. Uh, I mean, you can't, you gotta appreciate the guy for his level of confidence, man. <laughs> I don't know. He's gotta have a piece that he tucks inside his tennis shoe. <laughs> I mean, it, like, to have that amount of confidence that he has to talk in the manner that he does. But, I mean, come on. He's a rock star, right? I mean, yeah. he's uh, been a, a rock star for, for decades. And, uh, I really enjoyed it, you know, and obviously he's a Michigan native. He talks positive. He's brought some negative stuff up about Michigan, but I enjoyed it. And here's one thing that I find um, harder and harder to come by is for me to be able to get a good laugh. And I don't know that I laughed harder than I did in a long time (laughs) listening to that podcast. Some of the one-liners and the things that came out of that guy's mouth we're just and anybody that can make me laugh that hard, I have a great appreciation for because it's such a stress reliever to laugh. Dude, we were yeah. texting each other as we yes. were driving, as we were both because li- we were both listening to it almost like we were just a couple minutes ahead or behind one another and listening to it. And dude, I about ran off the road like three different times trying to text you something because it was just it was just hilarious. Like made me laugh out loud in my truck. Like no one else in the truck, like laugh, belly laughing out loud, like a fool. Yep. Oh yeah, I came right out of my seat when he said he's gonna eat your family tree and <laughs> shit sawdust in your face. <laughs> I just was, that was probably my favorite one, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it was. I, I won't forget that. But yeah, you know, he brings up a, he brought up some good points, and he's he's still naive to the fact that um he could do a better job. Yeah, so uh, that's that's my one fault with him, man, because it's like you have this amazing platform, and he does a lot of good stuff for you know veterans and and stuff like that. Like he does, he's one of those dudes. He puts his money where his mouth is, right? He puts the effort out there, you know, not his money like literally, but he does a lot of good things for a lot of people um, that probably in large part goes unnoticed because of because of his kind of straightforward brashness that kind of rubs people people the wrong way. And you just wish that someone who had that that was that invested in in the hunting community was able to kind of smooth his edges a little bit. And I'm not talking about censoring him at all. You know what I mean? It's right. like right. But you have an amazing opportunity to be an incredible ambassador, right. you know, for the sport and to open up doors that you know I can't think of a bigger, more mainstream. And when I say mainstream, it's like you know I'm not talking like politically left or right i'm talking like he's a household name you know what i mean it's like yeah. mark and terry drury are hunting celebrities but they are not a household name like you go right. somewhere in philadelphia and you say who's mark and terry drury it's like people look at you like you have three heads they have no clue who that is you know what i mean right but you go walk in downtown center city philadelphia and you say hey do you know who ted nugent is everybody right. knows who ted nugent is you know what i mean so he has that type of you know uh, penetration into people's homes where everybody knows who he is. And if he was just able to kind of curtail it enough 
to recognize that like how much more how many more minds could he change if he would just speak to understand how to speak to those people to know to know how to do it to where they wouldn't shut him out immediately yeah i think the thing he's got to do is maybe uh when he's invited to do the platforms that they know what they're doing by baiting them in and what mm-hmm. he's going to say he's just got to steer clear of those and he's got to do things like long format uh because that was great i mean yeah. uh he didn't leave a bad impression and no. uh and look, I, i'm sorry go ahead yeah I, I just think he's you know but that confidence thing is that if anybody's gonna you know basically come at him he's gonna come come back at him and uh I guess that you know that can be be damaging, but yeah, in that long format, uh, he killed it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think for the. I mean, I, I dug. I dug the podcast. I came away with a different perspective of him overall. Sure. Overall, um, you know, I think you know, I. I think that the stigma that he has, as far as, you know, folks, you know what they think of him socially as far as I think that he's a racist and, and and stuff like that, you know, I think are completely misguided and even his fundamental like political philosophy is, is solid. You know what I mean? Like, even if you, even if you aren't conservative and you listen to him, it's like, it's logic. Like he, it's, it's logical information, you know? And the other thing I found interesting too, is like he was open to hear, you know, Rogan's side of the story on just about anything. You know what I mean? Sure. And was open to it. And that's the other thing I don't think that he gets credit for. It's like he's willing to listen, but you can't just come at him with like a bunch of rhetoric because he's going to he's not going to want to hear it. You know what I mean? Because um, you know, they got on the topic of, of, of pot. Right. In which he, of course, his career has been anti any drug because he had seen, you know, as he'd mentioned in the show, the rise and fall of many amazing musicians due to drugs and alcohol. And so staunchly against. Right. And Rogan, of course, staunchly for, you know, the, the right types in using within the right methods and so forth. Um, and so that was an interesting debate. And by the end of it, at first, he was basically like, you can piss up a rope, Joe. It's all bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? And right. By the end of the conversation, he was like, I can see where there's application. You know, and, yeah. that, and that's all you're looking for in a dialogue is just like that open mindedness and willingness to have a real conversation, which nobody has anymore. At all. Sure. Yeah. No, I I don't know. I definitely struggled with that for a long time. I don't know what changed my mind about it. It probably could be a lot of listening to Rogan because he's, he's like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably was a big factor about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'll have a conversation with somebody that we share completely different uh, opinions and viewpoints, but I don't, like, dislike them because of it i just realized that whatever they have different opinions and have different have had different impressions instilled upon them and uh, they just don't see things the way that i do and i i use the example within the deer hunting community a lot of times of the people that go to each other's throats you know compound crossbow gun hunter i only bow hunt this and and that and that's all great take your own path do what you want to do but don't be so concerned about what everyone else wants to do. It, as much as you might think so, it really doesn't have an impact on what you're doing. Yep. 
And if it does, just adjust your strategy a little bit. But, I mean, when you go to a a deer camp, like a northern Michigan deer camp, I mean, guys are hunting with different weapons and have different methods and different objectives. That doesn't stop us from being friends at the campfire and having beers together and eating dinner together. And, you know, part of it's obviously social media disconnects you from the reality of who you're talking to and what you're talking about. Right. But I don't know. Um, I'd, I'd love to see more people with that open mindset instead of just everybody wants to go right into attack mode so so quickly yeah well it's it's everyone everyone wants to be right you know what i mean like they'll they'll defend their wrong position just on the off chance they that if they fight long enough they might be right <laughs> you know what i mean as opposed to sure just, as opposed to going hmm i'm gonna take what you said into consideration because that might actually help me at some point right you know what right. I mean? Like no one wants to, and I don't know where that comes from. Like the, the, the inability to allow someone to help you out. Like there's, I don't, I, I don't know where it comes from. Like it, I guess like we were talking earlier, like we both surround ourselves with people who have like a sense of like humility and are just good down to earth people. Where it's like, if you present like a reasonable <laughs> argument about something, like they'll go, yeah, kind of makes sense. I could see why you think that. Right. You know what I mean? It's like I'm not asking you to like to follow my lead and do what I'm do what I'm saying, but you know, it's like all I'm asking you to do is go, Yeah, I could see how you could come to that conclusion. Right. You know, it's yep. like, and that's really all it all it takes because you know, not to make the conversation political per se, but it's like that's the only way anything gets done. You know, whether yeah. it's whether it's whether you're talking about health care if you want to go into like the politics side. Or whether you're talking about how to manage deer from a state perspective, or whether you're talking about public lands and how they're going to be managed, whether they're going to, you know, sell off the federal lands to states or not. You know what I mean? It's like both sides at some point have to have a realistic conversation about what's really happening, what the real impact is, and then be able to at least appreciate each other's points of view to go, hmm, I never thought of that. You know, just you know, just like we would ask as a hunters and people who, you know, love the public lands and want to make sure that they stay you know, accessible and, and not within state control and and so on and so forth. At the same time, we have to be able to stop and look at why would someone on the opposite side of our opinion think that that's a good idea? Like, what are the reasonable reasons for that, for that thought? Right. Because yes, there are some jerks out there that just want to flip a buck and sell it off to some developer but then there are some real people out there who have real concerns and reasons why they would think that that might be a good idea. You know what I mean? And just as our opinion, we feel is valid to say, no, we're not selling them come hell or high water. You know, we want them to take our opinion into consideration. So we have to kind of reciprocate the same amount of respect and say, Hey, I want to hear your side of the story. I want to understand why you, why you think this way. And I'd love to share my opinion and hopefully we can come to some type of an agreement, you know, where we can kind of appease both sides and each of us maybe give up a little something to get a little something, you know, and that's because the whole like dig, dig my heels in and I'm not moving, go pound salt my way or the highway. That just just isn't going to work, you know. No, it's not. We're not going to get anywhere. I mean, you brought up the politic thing and I think it's a huge problem just in this country to move forward collectively as a group is, you know, you're either a Democrat or a Republican, which I understand. But at the same time, if 
all Republicans hate all Democrats and all Democrats hate all Republicans so and weird. all we do <laughs> all we're doing is arguing and going back and forth we we just we can't look at the bigger picture and move forward collectively as a group and if we could just focus a little more on issues but it, it's it's going back to that um, biological programming in our brain we're as a species we're very tribal you know oh, we get in yeah we get in these these tribes and uh you know your tribe's right and we're against that tribe and uh i don't know i don't know what changed with me when i was able to look outside of that but at some point in time i just i quit i uh quit caring about those little little groups and just cared about issues in the bigger picture and you know i guess trying to move forward and that's the only way you're going to do it is to get out of that get out of that mentality and i think that's amplified within the hunting community and i think part of that is like hunting being such a tribal ritual you know okay. you were you you counted on your tribe to provide for you and uh you worked against other tribes you know maybe in the same woods to harvest game to feed your family and whatnot and i think that comes right down to the clothes we wear the bows we shoot the arrows you know mm. hey you're shooting carbon express well i shoot east and we can't be friends you know right and it's like, gosh, look past that. You guys both love to hunt. Uh, there's just such a way bigger picture. And I think part of that is the industry, too. Mm -hmm. You know, making uh, promotional staff, you know, making teams. You know, I'm on Team X and you're on Team Y. Yeah. And uh, so we gotta, we're not working together. Now we're working against each other inside this little community that's already small. And we all need each other's support and companies need to put people on these teams to i don't know i you know move products push sales i understand mm -hmm. that but man i gotta do a better job of not pinning each everybody against each other yeah well i mean it's it's interesting like you know one of the this was like an old like marketing and it's not a marketing trick but it's like one of the fastest ways to create brand advocacy right and and it's like you don't have to look any further than like mac and pc the reason mac and pc were so successful and mac specifically is because they positioned themselves as the anti anti-pc you know what i mean it was like if you are a pc person we want nothing to do with you you are the antithesis of everything that we stand for right and pc was kind of the same way vice versa so like the easiest way to create advocacy and in brand advocacy is to create what you are vehemently against as a brand. And that's like, and that's like, it's funny because, like, since I work in like marketing, it's like when I see marketing and advertising, some of the stuff that happens in the outdoor industry, it's like I see that playing out. And, and it's, and it's in part like they, they will say on the surface, they don't want to disconnect people, right? But it's fundamentally in their best interest to create a divide because it will, it will create the us versus them mentality. Like every, right. every sports team does it. You know, what happens when you get into the playoffs? Like every team all of a sudden internally says they're an underdog, right? They went 16 right. and 0, and all of a sudden now they, they feel like they're getting slighted and they're an underdog in the game. You know what I mean? Even though everyone knows the Patriots, for example, they'll come out and say the first, like the first playoff game of, you know, the year 13 and 3, and they're like, yeah, we're an underdog in this game. Like no one's giving us any respect. You know, it's <laughs> like you're playing that card because it's, it's beneficial to you to do so. It's the us versus the world mentality. Right. You know, it's 
and it and it filters into into marketing, which all you know obviously filters into the, the, the hunting industry, and and that's kind of what you have. It's the the elitism of it all, right? It's like, well, I only bow hunt. You know what I mean? It's like, would you, you you'll hear when people talk about the deer they killed last year. It's like, oh yeah, I shot this deer with you know when I was muzzleloader hunting or you know slow you know uh, shotgun hunting or whatever, and the the guys like. Oh yeah, well, I killed mine with a bow at 15 yards, and I must be better because mine was closer, and I had to get closer. It's like, right? You know what I mean? It's just everything becomes a competition, and it, I don't know where this mentality of like because you won means I lose. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, we're not even playing the same game per se, right? You know what I mean? It's like, like we can both win. Like it's okay. Like we can both help each other. You know what I mean? And and doesn't mean you get any less. It's not, we're not talking socialism. (laughs) It's just talking like being normal, real humans and treating each other with some respect. Well, take, uh, take this for an example, uh, vegans and hunters. Oh man. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's crazy. We have like this kind of very similar goal. Yeah. But we're on these two different roads to get there, and people are so quick to jump on each other and call names and be nasty, where it's like, dude, if you were going to just pick some people like randomly and show me on paper and be like, this person's a vegan, this person's a vegan, or just like some average people that are driving down the road flicking cigarette butts out the window, like... I'm pretty certain, well, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't say that. But I gu- I'm going to say there's a better percentage chance that vegans aren't th- throwing cigarette butts out the window and unconsciously wasting things. Like there's some common there's some common mindset between like what they're trying to achieve with like low impact versus what we are. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for the respect for animals. I mean, oh, PETA is a great example. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, they, they're, you know, of course for animal rights, it's like, but they're completely anti-hunter who is all about supporting the conservation of, of habitat, wild places and wild animals. We have a different approach to do it, but our end goal is still very similar. We have a lot of things in common. Right. You know? Yeah, it's interesting, man. Like, I don't know where some of these divides come from. I think you're right. I think it's just we we all become tribal. And it's like I even find myself doing it subconsciously. You right. know what I mean? Oh, it's yeah. Like, you know, I'll catch myself doing it, and I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like, why do I care about this? You know what I mean? It's yeah. like when you think about it, I'm like, this doesn't matter. Why am I getting Dude. Yeah, companies take advantage of it, too. I mean, it's all the way down to coolers now, mm-hmm. right? I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. There's so many cooler brands, and people are, like, really loyal. Yeah to them it's a product that keeps your drink cold like they're all they all do this kind of the same thing like there's no reason a a guy that is a fan of one can't hang out with a friend that's a fan of another one or you know one guy likes miller light and one guy likes bud light and all of a sudden they're having a fist fight in a bar right that's the one place is beer is where they actually hang out together still and they're okay right with each other you know what i mean it's like they're all at the same bar it's cool you know i'm gonna fist fight you over my cooler Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like it doesn't make any sense at all, you know. Or Yeah, man, we're not we're not perfect as human beings. We have our flaws and uh and it starts with cooler loyalty. Cooler loyalty. <laughs> yep. Oh my god, man. Yeah, it's Yeah, I don't know, man. Humans are humans are funny funny creatures. 
That's for sure. You know, maybe uh, maybe one day we'll have this thing called life figured out a little bit more than we than we than we do now. But man, I don't know, dude. It's uh, I th- I had like one more one more kind of topic that I wanted to kind of to talk through. If you have if you have a couple minutes still, do it. All right. So here in PA, we've had CWD for a couple years, and it's it's been in a couple different areas. They've kind of I don't want to say they've eradicated it because there's no getting rid of it per se. Um, but it's not at a what they would you know deem or term a CWD management area any longer. Uh, there are, however, two hot spots in PA, which both of my family properties happen to reside in, which which sucks. Um, but I do know you know that I had heard or read that it has recently um, made its way to Michigan, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, and part of what you know, going back to, to Ted Nugent, part of what that con- or that conversation that during, during that podcast kind of um, one of the topics they, they covered in, I would say quite extensively for, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast, since it's not a outdoor podcast per se, was they covered CWD quite a bit in that, in that conversation and his kind of perspective. And then almost around the same time, there was a, I don't even know who this guy was. It's like, cause I don't, you know, his, I guess his name is Jay Gregory. And, oh, I know who he is. Yeah, and I, I that actually that was the first time I'd I had ever heard of him. Like I had to look him up because I had no clue. Oh, really? Who, yeah, I had no clue who he was. No kidding. Yeah, um, he used to uh, be a staffer. I think he got his start being a staffer for the Drury's. Yeah, to be that's with you. Yeah, that's what I read. And just you know, I for whatever reason I just you know didn't know who he was, and that was the first time I'd ever heard his name was um you know the with his the rant that he kind of went on with the, the CWD stuff. So sure. I'm just curious, you know, as a Mich- as a Michi- Michigan guy, as a Wolverine, um, you know, what's like, what's your take on it? Like, because this is relatively new to you, and I know you, I know you read a fair amount just about topics that are going on, you know, outside of your state and so forth. Um, so I know you're aware of it beyond it coming to to Michigan now, and so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on it, and if you, you're you know, yes privy to any of the ways it folks have man or some states have managed it in the past and if you have an opinion about that and just kind of want to talk to you about it man because it's i know it's kind of fresh for you guys and it's something that we've been kind of dealing with here in pa for a couple years yeah yeah man it's a tough one i mean you get uh very confident people uh people that you respect and know and you trust on both sides of the argument telling Mm -hmm. you don't do this or do this and uh I think what it really boils down to is uh, don't don't take anything for face value and don't trust anything that you hear until you do your own research and draw your own conclusions. Um, there always seems to be some driving factors between behind why people say what they do. Now, um, you know, for me in the past couple of years, I've grown to have a great level of respect for our our state wildlife management here in uh, Michigan. I know our uh, deer and elk biologist personally. Uh, I would consider him a friend. I don't think that he would ever tell me anything that's not truthful. Mm-hmm. And he tells me that these things that they are lining up to do are essentially at a, you know, at a level that they understand way more in depth than I do. Right. These are the moves to make 
to try to slow this thing down. Are you going to beat it? No, doesn't sound like it. Right. So that's concerning. I mean, if we if we know we can't beat it, are we just are we just throwing things up in the air and hoping something sticks? Or are we doing this stuff because we actually have evidence that it will slow it down? Right. I don't know yet, man. It's a it's a it's a crazy thing what it is, you know, the fact that you can literally contaminate the ground with this and then burn everything to the ground and it still be you know um that ground still be an infective area Mm -hmm. i don't know how you do beat it but i'm gonna defer to people that know way more than me Mm -hmm. and all i'm gonna do is not draw any conclusions i'm gonna keep listening I'm going to keep learning and maybe at some point I do draw a conclusion. But right now, I think the smartest thing to do is at a local level, listen to and try to find people that you know and trust, listen to what they have to say, and then listen to what people that you potentially know and trust that have the complete counter perspective. Listen to what they have to say and start drawing your own conclusion and do your own research and just don't take anything, um, you know, don't take anything as gospel because uh, I, the more and more that I pay attention to topics in depth, it's amazing to me how I think I have something figured out. <laughs> and then later I find something out that was like, well, I'm an idiot. I completely <laughs> made a huge stink about something that I thought was right that actually wasn't right. Right. So I'm just very reluctant reluctant to to jump on a, you know, a side or a plan or whatever, but so far everything that the state has proposed here and it's probably pretty easy for me to say this because it's not really directly impacting any areas that I hunt. I'm sure it's a lot different for people in other areas. Right. All I care about is being able to go get my deer tags and be able to go deer hunting. Um, So I'm just going to take as much information in as I can, continue to process it, not draw any hard line conclusions on where I stand on it because, let's face it, they're going to find something out in a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, five years from now that is going to change everything that we've thought until this point probably. Right. So I think the important thing is for people to stay open-minded about it. Right. I, I think I, I, I 100% agree with you. I think it, when these types of things that are as complicated as as this is, right, and as scary as it is and what it could mean to hunting overall, um, I think it's best to just kind of gather information for a period of time. I think the scariest part of it is is that even the experts, like the quote-unquote experts or the people who we, I don't want to call them quote-unquote experts because they are experts, you know, by definition, but the people who are... They're um, professionals. Yeah, yeah, most, yeah, that's a better way to put it, professionals that are most involved with trying to help establish what this thing is and how to manage it going forward and what should be done. I think the scariest part is, is that they'll admit, at least the truthful ones, is that we're not quite sure. You know right. what I mean? It's like that's like that's kind of the answer you get, right? It's like without going into like further detail, because you know it's. I've talked to some, you know, 
buddies from the QDMA that does a lot of work, you know, in, in this space. And, um, you know, Kip, of course, he's one of the, you know, biologists there. That's, you know, what he, what he does, does a lot of the research there with them. And he's pretty plugged into state agencies, at least here in Pennsylvania and, and nationally, he's got a good pulse on what's going on. Um, and they are making some headway, right. But it's nothing that's like significant, right. It's nothing that's saying like, now we have a plan. Like now we know exactly what we need to do. You know, it's like, and he, you know, basically said that it's like, we're learning more and more about it. We just haven't gotten to the point to where we have figured out how we effectively either eradicate it or effectively keep it from spreading without, you know, they, they do certain things like, you know, the area that my, my family properties are in, like we can't use any type of mineral stations or anything like that. We can't use any type of, uh, you know, lures or scent attractants and stuff like that. anything that's going to congregate deer to a, a small area we can't use essentially. Right. Right. Um, which to me, it's a bummer because, you know, I like using mineral just to kind of, you know, get my inventory on the property for the year of, you know, what, what nice deer are in the area and stuff. But look, you know, it's, I would, I'd rather give that up than think that I'm doing anything to damage anything any further. Oh yeah. You know I'm what in I mean? Com- oh, I'm in complete agreement. You know, it's, since before CWT, it's illegal in the state of Michigan to put bait or mineral, which is deemed an attractant, mm-hmm. out before, like, I want to say it's like September 15th or something. People are just, they don't care one bit, man. Right. You know, we follow on social media all these groups, and some of them have big platforms, and they just don't care, man. Like, <laughs> they're out putting mineral out and salt blocks and this and that, and it's like, especially with the onset of CWD now, you think people would be a little more conscious of like paying attention to what professionals are saying and how we can slow this thing down. But nope, you know, and it hits home for me too, man, because like we, we had a piece of property in Northern Michigan and, um, one of the, probably the most prestige wilderness areas that you're going to find in the lower peninsula. Mm Mm-hmm. And our neighbor to the east of us had this gorgeous, beautiful piece of property, 280 acres. He decides to put a 10-foot fence around the whole thing and turn it into a deer farm. So, yeah, now that's our east line is a 10-foot fence Mm -hmm. of this gorgeous wilderness area that we, you know, have had for the last 30 years. And where does, you know... there's a potential there, right? I mean, right. he's going to be moving deer in and out and this and that. I mean, it's, I think the research has been done that part of the reason why CWD has spread is people trans moving deer around. Right. And that's a high risk. That's a high risk, um, you know, business in terms of, um, I guess I shouldn't say that. It's a high, it has a higher probability that it's going to happen in an enclosed area than it does in a wild space. Right. So we got him doing that. And then we got people hunting in the same state forest that we hunt in that have platforms and are on Instagram and Facebook, you know, posting pictures of bucks on trail cameras that are at their mineral sites, Hmm. which is illegal in the state of Michigan. And now we have, you know, CWD spreading through our state. And it's like, does anybody care? Is anybody paying attention? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, part of it is too. And and I think, you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine from Wisconsin at one point because they they've had it, of course, for some time, and they 
them in Illinois were probably like two of the the tougher cases, this, you know, early on in terms of what it did to their deer herds and how it was, you know, managed or mismanaged, whatever whatever side of the fence you fall on with with, with that. Um, you know, it and I totally lost my train of thought right there. Oh, it, it was it, they've not done a great job of communicating it either because I know sure. whenever it became a hot spot in my hometown. You know, I mean, I knew about it, but, you know, this is kind of what you and I do. So it's like we're kind of plugged into things that happen and stuff like that. And so we'll we'll know about something that's happening maybe early on, hopefully. Um, but, I mean, I was going back home and, you know, cousins and friends and stuff were asking me, hey, you get your minerals out yet? I'm like, no, man, can't can't put mineral out. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I was like, <laughs> you know, our property, your property, too, is in the CWD hot zone. They had no clue. Like zero right. clue that there was even a CWD zone in Pennsylvania, let alone it was in the area in which they live. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's, I mean, they just have to do a better job of letting people know that stuff, you know, that it's, <laughs> that it's in an area. But I also think going back to the Ted Nugent, you know, Jay Gregory thing is like, it's really, it's really dangerous to have people that have that kind of exposure and that kind of platform just to completely discredit the professional work that has been done right by scientists. Oh yeah, biologists. I agree with that. Big you, time. You know what I mean where it's like <laughs> I, I just I, I'm I'm dumbfounded often by some It's ego. Some's re- reluctance to acknowledge that there is a thing called science um, and a scientific method <laughs> by which things are proven or disproven. And a scientist's primary job really is to disprove things. Like that's really what they're trying to do. You know, it's like they're not in it to prove themselves right per se. Like they, their, their main job is to think is to prove that things are incorrect. Because right. that's kind of how you get to the point of knowing something is right. Was when you pull all the all the things that it couldn't be away, then you're left with the thing that it is. You know what I mean? And that's kind of the way the scientific method is built. And it just blows my mind. You don't have to buy the approach to help manage it, hook, line, and sinker. But for some people, especially hunters, to say that it's not a problem or it's something that's made up, like I'm just like, man, <laughs> like. Oh yeah, um, you that know. whole Jake Gregory thing was just a just a joke, and it was just going to show that there's a a man that's lived the better part of his life. I mean, and he hasn't f- figured out yet how to manage his ego. Yeah, because that was pathetic. Like for someone his age to spout off like that and be so incorrect, and he kept reiterating, he kept saying this, and I'm thinking to myself. Quit making this statement if this is what you want to be online ranting about. He kept saying, I don't understand it. I don't really know all the details. Then shut your mouth. Right. Yeah. Then don't go on Facebook when you're at a golf course buzzed up shooting 18 and discredit all the people that are working their asses off to try to protect this thing for us. Yeah, that was really aggravating to to me. It was laughable. Yeah, I mean, you can't fix stupid. You know what I mean? Like it's just one of those one of those things where, 
Yeah, yeah and he's know. probably not a stupid guy. No, he's a, probably an intelligent guy, but he doesn't know how to check his ego. I can assure you of that, man. Right, and that was kind of what my takeaway was whenever I was listening to to Nugent talk about it as well. Because I mean, he didn't go on a rant. I mean, he had an open dialogue yes, about it. You right. Know what I mean, so he was more willing to hear and understand. But his first approach was really just like, that shit's bullshit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, that was really like his first. And then, you know, Rogan in true Rogan fashion was like, eh, they've done a lot of research on this. And there's biologists and he's like, and I, you know, I have, I find it hard to believe that people's, you know, who dedicate their lives to preserving wildlife and conservation have it, you know, that this one topic is the thing that they're trying to screw everyone on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, it doesn't make sense. I'll tell you what, man, I, uh, I listened to all that and I, uh, after I did, I contacted our, uh, uh, Chad Stewart, our deer biologist for the state of Michigan, because we've been talking for a while that I was going to, we we're going to try to hook up in August and have him on the show. Nice. And I said, Hey, do me a favor. I want to ask you about some of these questions. Uh, listen to this, please. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I asked him to go listen to that. And so hopefully when I do get the opportunity to sit down with him here next month, I'll be able to ask him those questions and from, uh, from his viewpoint, get some answers. So nice. Yeah. That'll be cool, man. It's yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, folks who have that type of platform use it for, um, Oh, yeah. dividing on certain topics versus you know right bringing folks together to collaborate because hell who knows he might be right you know what i mean but it'd be really nice if like all the parties who have a stake in it that are informed and putting forth the work were all at the table to kind of help craft you know whatever the approach is going to be and hash out you know what some of the faults of each side might be you yeah know what I mean? like that would be that would be tremendously helpful um, rather than just kind of spouting off, you know, there was I, also, I th- go ahead. I, th- I think he did, uh, I think he just come back on and do like an apology one, like a day or two later or whatever, you know, probably one of his sponsors reached out to him and said, Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> right. You know, so he did issue some type of, uh, some apology. Right. But the thing that got me is he, he must have said half a dozen times throughout the thing that I don't understand this. <laughs> I don't know all the details, but here I am telling you how to think about it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just doesn't make any sense. And then there was another guy that I'd seen also, Roger Raglan. Did you see that one? <laughs> God, yes. <laughs> just stop. Oh my God, dude. That was, yeah. that was amazing. I was like, Dude, we just gave Roger Raglan like this huge shout out on our podcast a couple weeks ago for just, I mean, I don't know, you just look at the guy and it seems like somebody that'd probably be a good time to hang out with. Right. Guy probably knows how to have a good time. Right. But yeah, then he starts talking about people actually caring about animals and caring about hunting and actually having like a positive outlook and trying to like reach people that aren't hunters and just being a dumbass about it. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was aggravating. Yeah, I saw that one, and I was just like, it was like all that was in the same week, too, I felt like. It was like... Oh, yeah, right there, right, yep, And I was sure. like, I was like, damn. I was like, someone, like, some, like, something happened. Full moon, like, I don't know, like, everyone just lost their shit for, like, a week, but... Oh, I think a lot of that stuff's going on. It's just, uh, you caught two good ones in a week, and... Yeah. Yeah, everybody's got a, you know, oh, not everybody, but 
a lot of people have egos and opinions and now they have platforms to you know broadcast that so yeah i mean it's interesting it's because whether it's hunting or whether it's you know the the political sphere social sphere economic sphere whatever it is you know you always hear um you know people will say it's 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 worse than it used to be or you know people are you know meaner than they used to be or um you know, or people are more violent than they used to be, or whatever the case is, more whatever the act, whatever the attribute is they don't like, right? It's more of that. And it's interesting, though, because, I mean, I think about it in the sense that I don't know that any of this stuff happens any more or less than it used to. I think that we are just so interconnected now that even though we are disconnected personally and we don't spend time with each other, all the things that we've already talked about, right, we're more connected, you know, digitally than we've ever been. And everyone at this point is a publisher where the only time you saw an opinion, you know, in recent history, like just pre-internet, you know, so like the early 90s, essentially, was reading a newspaper, a magazine, you know, or seeing, you know, something on the news or TV or whatever. But you knew TV was kind of bullshit. You know what I mean? Like that was like you knew like TV was sensationalized. The news was kind of the news, but amped up a little bit for ratings and stuff like that. So if you really want good information, like you had to go find some type of written document to read, whether it was a magazine, a newspaper or a book or whatever the case might be, because it had to go through some type of editor and some type of review. And, you know, there was there were gatekeepers along the way that were going to kind of check the quality and journalistic integrity of whatever the piece was that was being published right right. now with social media everyone's their own publisher you can have an opinion about anything and in five seconds have it out to your 10,000 15,000 20,000 followers however many people however many people it is you know and start a shitstorm with it essentially right you know what I mean so I don't know that we're any worse than we were before other than I think that we are more connected and more aware because we just have more access to more information. And because I think people also feel empowered by having some anonymity behind a keyboard and not having to put their face in public against this thing, right? Immediately. Oh, yeah. Now, I imagine there's amount, an, a, a tremendous more amount of regret for doing it, not because they regret what they said, they regret the response. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, because they're, it, they don't have, they're not using the time that you would use if you had, if you're going to write an article to kind of write it and then think about what you're writing and then say, okay, does this make sense? Am I being truthful? Or is this like, you know, is my journalistic integrity intact here? You know, now you have a thought, a stream of consciousness, you type it, you punch it, you send it. You never had a moment to reflect about whether or not what you were about to send into the world was how you wanted to represent yourself or whether it was even accurate or whether it could be hurting something you really that you really love, you know? So I mean, I, I don't know, man. I mean, what do you think? I mean, what's your perspective on that? It's just crazy times, dude. People don't know how to, I'm thankful that before social media really got popular, that I wasn't a teenager. Preach man. Good God. dude. Cause <laughs> I mean, these younger people are just doomed because they're growing up with this stuff and this disconnect and, uh, you know, I was at the park earlier this week with my son and my wife, and you know, I hear these three girls storming around, and they're talking about how the one was talking shit about the other one on 
Facebook and now they're going to try to find her and beat her up. And I'm just like, Oh my God, like, <laughs> please, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that I'm a little bit past it. Um, yeah. and, uh, but you know, like I said, some people are in their sixties and seventies and aren't, aren't above it or aren't past it. They're opinionated, they're opinionated people and they're going to use it to say, but yeah, uh, the disconnect from not, you know, having the repercussions of standing there talking with somebody that, uh, can counter your argument or, you know, if you get too out of line, punch in the teeth. Right. <laughs> is, uh, exactly. it's just the thing that we don't know how to deal with yet, man. Right. I mean, I know when I was growing up, dude, same thing, you know, pre, pre-interwebs and pre-social media, you know, it was, if you had a, like, first off, you didn't have a beef with someone in another state because you didn't even know anyone in another state other than if you had, no. like, a cousin, you know Kidding what I mean, me? that lived somewhere else. Right. So your beefs were, like, in the school that you were in, and the way you handled those was, like, dude, roll by, like, you know, at the cafeteria and be like, after school, we're going to throw down. I don't like you. You right. know what I mean? And that was, you'd go after school, you'd throw down, and you know, and it would, it would get handled that way. And then once it was done, it was done and you went about your merry way. Yeah. I know we both got young kids and we'll be dealing with it. I mean, yours a little older than mine. You get a daughter, I got a son, so it'll be a little different, but man, I'm not looking forward to it. No, she's already asking for like, when can I get an Instagram account? I said, when you're 47, that's when you can get an Instagram account. <laughs> when you have your own house and car. Yeah, exactly. I was like, one Instagram ho- account in this household. It's mine. So, Oh, Instagram actually just got canceled. So Yeah, <laughs> it just went away. Actually, we don't have internet anymore. It just went away. But, well, cool, man. We've been on here for almost two hours. I have one more topic, if you're game, to, to cover. 100%. And before we shift uh, gears, one thing that it's worth to mention is that, you know, we're, both, we're talking about Instagram here and social media, and I think you – You've probably noticed that a lot of times, like people that have big followings that are have hunting stuff, a lot of times they'll have photos that are like they're they're tasteful photos and they're nice photos, but they're like censored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you know, it's it's not unreasonable to think that going forward, more and more that will happen. To where if your platform is like hunting mm-hmm. and that they're not even going to allow that. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen this week or this month. Right. But I think it's something that people like us should be conscious of. And there is platforms out there, social media platforms that are like for hunting and fishing. And uh, a friend of mine, Sam Ubel, Mm -hmm. uh, has a platform called Hunt More. Yeah. And Hunt More is a pretty cool app. And it's a social media app, and it's all geared towards hunting and fishing and outdoors so i think it's something worth mentioning that people might want to look into joining and being on because it's all hunting and fishing and outdoor stuff and you know as some of these social platforms are taken over by people that have no concept of who we are or what we do or why we do it it's worth supporting somebody who does understand that stuff and has gone to the effort to make a platform where people can go and do that stuff. I don't know. I'm sure there's other ones. It's just the only one off the top of my head that I'm familiar with. Yeah, it's cool. I checked it out. It's, it's, I, I would equate it to like, it's like Instagram meets like Pinterest for hunting for the outdoors. Like yep. that's kind of how I, 
it's interesting you bring that up because it's it's funny. I had so you know each podcast that I put out, it's like I'll I'll do like a small ad for it usually. You know what I mean? And just it's not like I spend a ton of money on it or whatever, but just you know. I'll spend $10 on it or something like that and, and make an ad for it. Because part of it too is, you know, if someone's coming on, you know, a buddy like yourself or whomever, you know, it's, and they take the time out of their day to sit and spend some time with me and, and talk shit, you know, then, you know, least I can do is, you know, not just put the post out, but it's like, you know, I like to try to put a little bit of something behind it to see if I can get a little bit more exposure for that, you know, for that person that came on. Sure. And for the longest time, like I, it was all, all good. Like with Facebook, it was no problem. I was getting, I'd set my ads up and I'd send them out and they would get approved. And all of a sudden, like they stopped, they started denying them. Like the, anything that had someone with an animal. And I would usually try to edit the photo, crop it to where it's like, it wasn't like you saw like, you know, the gut slice, like to gut, to, to gut the deer or anything like that. And if like the deer's face was all bloody, it's like, I wouldn't use those. It's like, I tried to use like ones that were respectable, you know, field photos, you know, hundred percent. And, yep. uh, or it would be like a taxidermist photo, like someone's mount or whatever. And for the longest time they were getting approved and it was fine. Then all of a sudden, any one of them that had that, I was getting, they were getting canceled. Like they were starting to censor my ads. Like they wouldn't allow me to, they wouldn't approve them. And it was interesting because I was getting disapproved. Right. But, you know, and I know, you know, you know, Mark, and so Mark, you know, Kenyon would put out whatever his ad was and it would be like someone, you know, a grip and grin photo with same type of picture or whatever. And he, his ads running. And I just thought it was curious. And so I emailed them and I sent a, a screenshot of his post and my post. And I said, I just basically said, it's like, it's interesting that someone who spends more money with you with the same image has an approved image and someone who spends less money with you has the same exact image essentially. And you're not approving. I was like, I would like for at least the standards to be equal in terms of how you're regulating what you're approving and not approving, right? Yeah. So essentially, I was running into someone who on that end, I don't know if they were like attributed to my account or what, whatever it was, but they were, it was basically at whomever's, whoever was doing the approving, it was at their discretion to determine what was going to be represented or not. And a nice little funny tidbit is once they got into all the, uh, congressional trouble for allowing you know whatever fake news to be published and stuff like that and not um not vetting the credibility of people who are publishing things that could be damaging you know nationally and they got you know zuckerberg had to go to congress and kind of plead his case and they basically told him like you know get your shit together and we don't care what your promises are we want to see results literally the next day things i was getting denied i haven't had a single one denied now Really? Every one of them have been approved. Yep, without question. And actually, like, within, like, an hour getting it approved. Like, where other times it would make me wait, like, four days, five days right. to get it approved. That's why I brought it up. I mean, you're, you've had uh, Sam Soholt on your podcast. Mm-hmm. And guy's an excellent photographer. Amazing. A great, a great representative of the, the hunting, um, you know, lifestyle. Yep. And you go on his page, and he's got images that are blurred out, and it says sensitive content. You click on it, and you're like, what? Really? Yeah. Sensitive content? It, it's guy hold a piece of meat. Right. And like uh, eat, to right? me, it's just People like, got to eat. You know, people eat that stuff. And that's the only reason I bring it up is just look forward and think of, you know, what 
probably not too many people that are diehard deer hunters are going to be looking for jobs at Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> right. Yeah. So not. why not go join and support a platform that is built by people that do support that? And I understand it's not as popular or whatever, but hunt more is the only one that I, I hunt more and fish more. And the only two that I know of, I'm sure there's other ones out there, but I think it's wise for people to just be conscious of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it goes back to some of the principles we've talked about just overall during our chat today, which is, you know, in, in terms of supporting the the overall hunting lifestyle, it's like, you know, just align yourself with the right people. You know what I mean? Like the people who are going to not just support you, but support hunting. And then, and that goes beyond that. It goes to, you know, where you're sending your dollars. You know what I mean? What companies are you supporting financially in terms of purchasing their products and, and stuff like that. I mean, that all, it all adds up. You know what I mean? It's like, I would rather spend a little bit more and I do this even locally. It's like, I'd rather go spend my money and spend a couple more dollars for something at like something that is locally owned, you know, a local coffee shop than I would a chain coffee shop. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, so put your, you know, just put your money, you know, behind the things that are going to, you know, matter to you and that those people are going to, you know, um, you know, help you fight the good fight. But so, all right, so now shifting gears, hard transition, last one. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, if it's so a one, I guess, do you have any adventure hunts coming up? Like, are you making, I know you're going to Colorado here, like, and that's more of like a business trip um, with a little bit of fun. Um, but I'm just curious if you have any type of adventure hunts that you want to to go on, like, you know, whether it's an elk hunt or whatever the case might be. And if not, if there's nothing in the works, then it's fine, obviously. But I want to get a sense of like what your bucket list hunts are, like what type of hunts, if you could go do any type of hunts, like what is your, what is the thing you want to go do the most? Dude, I'm pretty fortunate that right here in my home state, uh, you know, Michigan's I'm pretty tra- baller, man. I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. We got like seven and a half million acres of public land and a lot of it's big woods and swamp and pristine whitetail habitat and uh it's gotten a bad rap and i think part of it is just because people have watched deer hunting tv and they want to set up properties with box blinds and food plots and think that big old bucks are going to walk out in front of them in a green field in the middle of the day and they're going to shoot them dude if that's your approach you're going to fall short and you're going to have to move and go to a different state right but if you're willing if you're willing to work for it um and you're willing to you know apply that some of the education that's available now about deer hunting via platforms like the hunting beast mm-hmm. and guys like john eberhart i'm, I'm sure there's other ones the hunting those are public the guys there's those dudes are killer yeah, yeah um you can get after it and you can get into some nice deer and for me um i bought a you know a frame pack this year and I, i'm just I am really, really looking forward to just going a little farther off the grid and getting into some habitat that I feel is not uh, being encroached mm-hmm. upon by other hunters. And I get to do that right here in my home state. And this this fall, I'm going to be doing a lot of that where we're just backpacking in with a tent and some food and coffee and a stove and staying in for a day or two and doing like the you know the back country style hunting but for whitetail and then 
you know, I was limited, right? I got to find the balance right now. I get a full-time job and uh, a family to take care of and all responsibilities. So I can't just like take off and go wherever and do whatever. So right now that's kind of my stepping stone. And then, you know, maybe next year I'll get to move up into the UP and do some of that where there's places in the UP where you can get eight miles from a road. So for me, that's, that's man, eight miles, like that's a little bit of a car drive. Yeah. <laughs> let alone walking through a swamp with a frame pack on your back. Right. And uh so my progression is is probably that. Um I'm I'm getting more and more interested with traveling out of state mm-hmm. um to, you know, maybe some more western areas. Uh I I really would like to go to Colorado and do an uh, over the counter elk. Mm-hmm. tag whether it's a bull or a cow I, I don't much care um a friend of mine shot elk here in michigan a couple of years ago and i had helped the butcher it we did the whole thing in my garage so, nice. so i had you know amount of elk meat for half the year and uh, that kind of sold me on the whole elk thing oh, so yeah. you know when i'm in colorado here uh the end of july i'm gonna be doing some hiking and some scouting and uh my intentions are to revisit that and do an elk hunt but man at the tippy top of my list for things that i want to do right now as far as hunts go is i'd love to go to saskatchewan and do a deer hunt man the big woods nasty heavy body big chocolate horned whitetail that is all me man like i'm all <laughs> i'm all in on that so nice. that's probably one of the things at the you know the top of my list right now that like when i get to go and do that nice i'll be pretty excited about it yeah that'd be a that'd be a killer hunt man like that uh what's the area i think it's up in the up what's the wilderness area up there that's like pristine in michigan that's just like oh, i can't remember what it's called now for the, Dude, life the whole me. the whole up is pretty crazy i mean there's chunks of state forests that are two hundred and fifty thousand acres um, and then the next chunk down the, you know, down the, down the road, 10 miles is a hundred thousand acres. And then there's another chunk that's 250,000 acres. I mean, there is some big expansive tracts of public land up there. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's intimidating for, for some people, certainly. Um, like I said, it's kind of why I'm getting my feet wet here mm-hmm. going a mile or two. Right. So that when I do go up there and I do decide to go in four miles or five miles that, you know, I don't feel completely green and I'm a little bit used to it. And that's going to help me when I go to travel out west, you know, and uh, hiking in the mountains and doing, you know, staying overnight. And then, well, I, you know, I don't know how a Saskatchewan hunt. I think when you travel up to Canada, I'm pretty sure you got to be tied in with an outfitter and whatnot. You're not going up there doing it like a all you know, DYI or whatever, but, uh, right. That, gonna, gonna that, take landscape, a walk about. <laughs> that landscape up there, every time I see it on TV is very representative of, uh, the landscape that I hunt in Northern Michigan, the way it looks with like the Aspen poplar and mm-hmm. dense forest. And, uh, the only difference is they get a bunch of 300 pound <laughs> giant deer walking around the size of cattle. So, right. Yeah, man, for dude out West, it's just, I'm, I would be. I will be looking forward to when you get an opportunity to go out there and hunt because I. That's just like, it's uh, it's mind changing. 
for sure. You know, it's like everything from like the landscape to the the animals are just. I mean, it's just you're like when you're elk hunting, it's just like they're like prehistoric freaks. You know what I mean? It's like they're just they're monsters. They're beasts. Oh yeah. You know, and the the terrain is just insane. Um, you know, it's just how expansive like the area is, and it's like you just go for days and just not see, not run into anything that looks modern at all. You know what I mean? It's just it's really cool. I think for me, man, like what I want to do is I don't have a species in mind necessarily, or even an area in mind. It's more about like the challenge, I guess, of the hunt. Um, it's like, I have this like urge now to like do something that's like, that's dangerous. You know what I mean? Where there's like an element of, of risk involved. Sure. You know, um, I do want to make it back to Alaska cause I've hunted Alaska once and I'd love to go back there. I've always kind of joked, but not really with my wife that I want to do an Alaskan brown bear hunt with a bow. Um, I don't know that I'll ever get to do that in my lifetime cause those things are ridiculously expensive. Um, but something when I say like risk, like something like that to where it's like, it's off grid, it's, you know, there's a, a chance to lose life or limb <laughs> sure. type of thing, you know what I mean? To where it's like, you got to really get your shit together. Um, not just, you know, your, your, your hunting shit together, but also, you know, physically your shit together because it's going to be a, a demanding, um, experience. Um, I just think there's something like, you know, I don't know, this is kind of weird, I guess kind of weird, but there's like almost like this purification through pain type of thing. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Where the more challenging the hunt, like even if you don't kill, you come out the other side and you're like, you look back on it and it's like it had a profound impact on you. No, no doubt. I mean, it changed a lot of stuff for me when I started integrating that the Western style hunting into uh, the way I hunt here by just staying a night in a tent you know Mm -hmm. and uh you do that for a couple nights and you're cold and you're wet and you can't get warm and then you come home and then you take a hot shower and then you sit down on a leather couch and drink a glass of wine and talk to your wife and it's just like holy cow man this is like (laughs) you know what i mean like it, it just it resets you it resets you. It, you know, you lose appreciation for the things that you have because you have them at your convenience all the time. You take that stuff away from you. You unplug. You go be cold and miserable for a couple of days, and then you come back, and it's just like it's all so good again. Yeah, for sure. Damn, man. Well, we've been at this for like two hours, dude. I got to. I still have to pack because I'm heading to the family property after work tomorrow on Friday. And I'm going back to do some spraying to start getting ready for some fall plots and have to pull some camera cards and do all that kind of fun stuff. So unless there's anything else you think we forgot to cover, I think we can go ahead and wrap this jam up. No, man, I think you nailed it. And I'm I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm sitting here staring at my frame pack and a pile of gear I'm loading up and uh I'm out of here early in the morning. We got a wedding in northern Michigan tomorrow. And then uh, Saturday, I'm going to be doing some scouting. And Sunday, I'm going to be doing some scouting up there and uh, prepping some spots and hanging some trail cameras. So uh, we're thinking alike, man. Nice. Well, before I let you go, 
if you wouldn't mind, man, let uh, let folks out there know where they can find out more about you and the uh, Deer Hunter Podcast. DeerHunterPodcast.com. It's all goes back there. Uh, easiest way to listen is iTunes and uh, Stitcher on Google Play. Um, we got some videos up on YouTube. We got some scouting videos up there. We did a workshop with Dan Infault uh, over the winter, which are worth uh, – worth watching just some short three four and five minute clips but uh deerhunterpodcast.com is where you can find it all awesome man hey well thanks for hopping on dude always always a good time whenever you and i get a chance to talk so uh appreciate you you jumping on and uh already looking forward to the next time we get to uh get to connect man so I'll, i'll be talking to you soon buddy sounds good clint thanks for having me i appreciate it you bet all right folks that is a wrap for today's show we'd like to thank kevin for joining Be sure to check out his Deer Hunter podcast and give him a follow on Instagram and Facebook as well. We'd, of course, like to take a moment to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, and Trophy Taker Rests. And until next time, we'll see y'all. On my heels, makes me proud, makes me steal. I could show you through the door, I ain't welcome anymore. Long time coming, if it all. gang the new truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on youtube below any of the truth from the stand videos i've got some new hats beanies t-shirts long sleeve t-shirts and sweatshirts there's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro dosing adversity so head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code truth t-r-u-t-h and save yourself some cash on the new gear go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.